This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Yeah, I think laughter, of all of the things that we talk about today, I think laughter is the most important. And it. somebody asked me once, what is my favorite sound? And la- it has to be laughter. Let me ask you a question. And I want you to be honest here. <laughs> How much do you like to exercise? Now, be honest with yourself. How much do you really like to exercise? I think if I took a poll of all the answers, I would find that the vast majority of you would say, I don't really love exercising. (laughs) I do it. I do it because I know it's good for me. I do it because it feels better. I do it because it's a healthy thing to do. But for the most part, I think people really don't love exercise. And that is why this interview today is going to be so interesting for you. Today, I'm interviewing Esther McIntyre. She is the owner of My Health Studio in Southern California. And she just became an Amazon bestselling author for her book, Fitness for Women Who Love to Eat and Hate to Move. (laughs) Well, with a title like that, how can you not be intrigued? I think you're going to find this a really interesting conversation. Esta shares her story about how she came out of a 30-year career in the corporate world to become a fitness trainer and eventually to own her own fitness studio, even though she is a self-proclaimed lover of food and someone who does not really love to exercise. If that sounds like you or someone you know, then you're going to really enjoy our conversation. So I invite you to sit back and listen in as Esther McIntyre shares her story. Good morning, Esther. Welcome to It Just Takes One. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today, not only to share your recent accomplishment with the book, but also to share a little bit of your story, uh, because I think people will be fascinated by your backstory and how you and I actually came to be sitting here together today having this conversation. So uh, let's actually just jump in right there and talk a little bit about how you and I met. Uh, We met through the Todd Durkin Mastermind Group, but tell, tell people how you got connected to that group and then how you and I became connected through that. Oh my goodness. Well, for the last 15 years or so, I've owned what I consider to be a wonderfully unique fitness studio uh, called My Health Studio in Westlake Village. But, you know, I am not a franchise. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I think I need a little help, you know? And so I kept looking on the internet and I found Todd. And Todd's persona is just pretty amazing. But there was one video of Todd with his dog, Jersey, Mm that just touched my heart. And so I reached out to him and then I told my husband about Todd and my husband was skeptical, you know, who is this guy? And, and so I reached out to Todd and I said, Todd, could you call my husband and tell him who you are? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what he did? And they had a great conversation and that was in February of 2018. And so that's how I came to know Todd and he was so down to earth um, and just, giving. So, and of course, you know, I met you through Todd Durkin. That's right. That's right. Oh, I love that story. I actually didn't realize that you were completely inspired by his video with Jersey. Yes, that's right. Was it the I, one where he was chasing out to get the newspaper no, in the morning or something? It was the one where Todd was having quiet time in the morning and, and Jersey was right there and he was, you know, I just love that video. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, Todd is a big personality. He's got so much charisma and so much energy, and he's completely magnetic in that way. But what you're saying is actually the same thing that that ended up connecting me with him, which is that softer side. 
at that yeah. side with the dog and that true, I mean, just to call Scott and, and have a conversation like a true authentic person. Um, yeah. That was also what inspired me to continue to connect with him. Yeah. And I'm so blessed because had I not gotten involved with the Todd Durkin organization, I would never have met you. I would never have written this book um, or developed the confidence as a wellness coach because I did not spend my career in this industry. I was in corporate America. I had confidence in that arena, but as far as wellness, no confidence at all, even after all those years. So it was the Durkin group who taught me that and so much, so much more. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, I, and that's a perfect um, segue into a little bit more about your background because fitness was not your first profession. Oh, I hated fitness. <laughs> it's so funny because when I tell people, you know, I'm a wellness coach, I'm a fitness coach, for somebody to say, oh, I'm not a fan of exercise and I really love food, they don't expect to hear that from a fitness coach. So no, I, I was not always in fitness. I, I spent my entire adult career in the corporate arena in information systems and, you know, actually using my brain and sitting on my butt. So I didn't, um, I, I had no desire. And if you had told me then that this is what I would be doing into my retirement years, it would have been the biggest shock ever. <laughs> so. Well, that is a fascinating part of your story. And it really goes to the premise of, of this podcast from, from the get-go, the whole concept of it just takes one, because there are moments in our life or people in our life that inspire us and actually send our life path on a different trajectory. And so you actually came to one of those moments where you went from being very comfortable sitting at your desk and not in, in even thinking about fitness in any realm to now actually owning a studio and inspiring others to become fit. Tell us about that turning point and that moment and that, that situation that happened that sent you in a completely different direction. Well, as, as, as you know, having been a big part of this book, um, I struggled with my weight for many, many years. I'm the product of two clinically obese parents. My dad lost 100, gained, gained 100, up and down. He did that twice in his lifetime. And uh, my mom, similar, similar story. And so I just decided that that was my destiny, that my genetic code could not be overcome. And so I kind of was married to that mentally. And, but I always kind of tried to get myself to the, you know, to the gym. I tried a million diets. I, um, and then one day I walked into a, a plastic surgeon's office because I, I lost and gained 50, 60 pounds five times during my adult life. And I was sick of it. I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, like I loved eating. <laughs> and they hated moving. So I went into a plastic surgeon's office and I said, I'd like you to suck it out, you know? And of course, being a conservative surgeon, thank goodness, he said, you know what? I, you won't be happy with the result if we do this now. You need to get some weight off you and then we can go there. Now, you know, it's pretty bad when someone who could make thousands of dollars on a procedure send you away. <laughs> There's nothing too much more demeaning than that, right? Mm -hmm. So I did what any self-respecting woman would do. I, I looked at the arena in ways that I could lose weight and I chose Fenfen. I don't know if you remember Fenfen, but it's Benjamin Army. Because of course, the path of least resistance for me, and you'll read about the path of least resistance in this book, mm -hmm. was just the way to go. It, 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 I didn't want to work hard at it. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I did. And I did have some surgery. And, and the sad part of that is that it didn't solve my problem. You know, I gained the weight back again and again. It just didn't, except I gained it back differently after that. Mm -hmm. So after the surgery, I knew that was not my ticket. I knew Fen, 
Ben Fenn was not my ticket. And so I, I decided to go and get what I now lovingly refer to as a cookie cutter trainer, where you go and you can see that, that the trainer is doing the same thing with every human, regardless of shape or size or ability. And, and I just kind of forced myself hating every second to go. And I, I went until I met someone who was a chiropractor, not even practicing here any longer, um, who, who just put me on a favorable carbohydrate exercise program, who then introduced me to a person who had been a trainer to the stars. Mm-hmm. And I went to see him. And I, I, you have to read about that story in the book. But, but he, I trained with that man for two and a half years, and it changed everything. And he is the person who implored me to pay it forward you know, pay it, what? Pay it forward. And it was at that point that I went back to school and started while still working a very full-time, very stressful career. Mm -hmm. I went back to school to learn how to do this. And so that was my start. I love that. I love, you know, one person one person can inspire something so much more out of you. But I can't help but think that people that are listening to this can completely relate to your story because certainly not everybody that's listening is a fitness professional or enjoys exercise. In fact, the vast majority of the world will side on your side of the fence of, you know, I, I, I don't like fitness and I want to eat. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I'm so glad that you were able to share some of that because I think they're, they're probably nodding their head going, oh yeah, that's me. And I can't even imagine finding any trainer uh, and being inspired enough to, to change my whole life career from it, but I can relate to it. And I, I really think people in our age group are nodding their head even more because you talk about this in the book. You talk about how we were influenced as, as women by the media of the 1960s and 70s. I want to share just a short little clip about that. And then I want to talk about how that really played a role in your life. Um, Let me just grab the the quote that I have here. It's about Twiggy. For those of you who remember (laughs) Twiggy from way back when, um, you may have some connection to what that was like. So you talk about um, in the 1960s, we were watching commercials with messages like men, nothing takes it off like Noxzema medicated shave, a 1967 commercial featuring an enticing Swedish model and a man shaving to a song titled The Stripper. To this day, it's hard to resist the urge to throw off my clothes whenever I hear that song. (laughs) The 60s also brought us Twiggy, an English model and actress. I never knew she had any other birth name. Most notable was her extremely thin figure. In fact, she was so painfully skinny, I considered, but only for a moment, sharing some of my treasured ice cream with her. Okay, maybe not, but I wish someone would have fed her. (laughs) For me, it wasn't just about her stature, but the complete package. Twiggy had big eyes with really long eyelashes and was undeniably the fashion icon for young women at that time. Cutting her hair like ours was not an issue, nor was emulating her large pouty eyes with plenty of dark makeup, but the skinny part. How on earth were we going to achieve that toothpick silhouette? Right. So true. Right. And there were others who followed Twiggy, you know, and, and I talk about, you know, the fact that I'm five foot two and, and short, and stout, you know, with big boobs and hips to match. And, you know, it was never even a consideration to look anything like Twiggy, but yet, you know, she was our, she was our model and our icon of the sixties. And so you end up, you know, I I say in the book, well, what choice did we have, but to become neurotic as women? (laughs) So, yes. Do you think that's changed? Do you think there is a difference for girls who are coming up now? 
I think we're, I think we're trying to change, Kelly. I think that we're trying to say that it's okay to love yourself exactly where you're at. But what happens as we age is that it becomes less about the aesthetics of it and more about the health aspect mm -hmm. of, of carrying the extra weight. Mm -hmm. And as a fitness coach today, I can still say to you, I love good food. And I can still say to you, I don't feel like moving so much of the time. Mm -hmm. But in the back of my mind, I, I think about what the possibilities, what the health possibilities are, or lack of health, of a good health. Mm -hmm. And that's what motivates me to move forward, rather than the icons of today. I think we're trying to change it, but let's face it, you know, I mean, if, if, if we had changed it, then the diet industry would not be as huge as it is today. Yeah, it's true. I do think you know, there's some evolution from that twiggy silhouette. Mm. I do think right. the athletic silhouette right. is probably more embraced now than that toothpick. Uh, I do think, you know, I was watching my girls the other day and they were getting ready to go work out. And I was thinking, you know, as, as young teenagers, well, my older one is 21, but my younger is 18, that those kinds of activities are every day. You know, they get up and they're active and they're running or they're working yes, right. exercising and they played sports and all those things. We didn't do that in the same way as kids. Yeah. And I grew up in the housing projects in New York City mm -hmm. and we didn't have organized sports, especially for girls at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the, the guys, the kids still had Little League and we didn't have that as, as girls. I did play jump rope. And, but I, as I say in the book, I don't remember any organized movement other than I come from a family that loves to dance and I still love that. And so that was the movement I remember, uh, but nothing organized. We, we played jump rope in a playground and that was it. That's all mm -hmm. I recall in terms of movement. Yeah. Did you play any kind of sport other than just dancing and things? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. And, <laughs> and, and actually, um, when, when I was older and, you know, friends were playing softball, I was so bad. You know, I remember one time swinging the bat and it came all the way around and hit me in the back of the head. <laughs> and, you know, that's how bad I, I've just not, never did it. So, you know, never had that training. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, No. Yeah, I, I agree. There were not at nearly the amount of organized sports for young women as they have now. And I do think that is progress. But the other thing, going back to your youth and your, you know, <laughs> inability to swing a bat well, um, one of the things that you did very well was enjoy food. And I really want to just bring a little bit of that up because I also think people listening are nodding their heads going, yeah, I like to eat too. And, right. and you mentioned the ice cream in that clip I just read. My favorite thing still on earth. And on the cover of the book is this hilarious picture of you with the beady eyes looking at the ice cream <laughs> sundae. Tell, tell us about that particular picture and why that is so meaningful. Why I chose that. Well, first of all, I have always love food as long as I can remember. And my mom, um, you know, told me stories about how I could always be placated with food, or if you wanted my attention, you know, just, and if you want my attention today, just show me some good food and you've got my attention. So um, I think in that picture, the idea of putting food to get my eyes to look in that direction um, is not really far-fetched because um, even now, I mean, think about food in general. I could be sitting on the sofa, not thinking about food. And then if my husband is microwaving something that smells delicious, all of a sudden I want some. Mm -hmm. you could, you could, food is part of the joy of life. And I think that is, part, is, is the challenge for those of us who can gain weight by breathing. You know, I think we have to come to terms with how we can have some of that and enjoy life. 
And that's what I teach. You know, when I coach, I, I think each of us has to have a very customized approach. And also each of us needs a, a separate team. Everybody's team is different. Nobody should do this alone. Mm-hmm. No one should stay fit alone. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's anything I want to tell people that that's it. Great, great Olympians who win gold medals don't do it alone. They have teams of people that keep them up, uplifted and encouraged. You actually share uh, quite a bit about that in the book about building your team. Tell us a little bit more about that. Who is on your team and who would you recommend one of the listeners uh, might be asking, you know, who would you recommend to be on their team? What does, what do you mean by that concept? Well, yeah. So that's the thing. When I talk about building your team, it's different for each human, right? So for me, um, you know, sometimes because of maybe because of my age and maybe because of some previous health issues, I get pain from time to time because I really do work my body. And so a chiropractor might be part of my team or acupuncture or, you know, all of those recovery uh, aspects of fitness that might be part of my team. Also, every now and then I want to hug my refrigerator. And so I do a little bit of hypnosis and I do that kind of, that might be part of my team. Of course, everyone, you know, their medical professionals should be part of their team. But the person who's been, uh, or people that have been most vital on my team are the ones, like my coaches, tend to be really vital aspects of my team. Uh, Larry and, and TD2, that's a big part of my team as well as my, I, I hire and pay for a fitness coach. You know, people say to me, what, you're a coach. Why would you know what to do? Well, knowing what to do is extremely different than actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And I've proven time and time again that when left to my own devices, I'm extremely unreliable. <laughs> so I pay a trainer. So that's my team, but your team may differ. Yeah, I, I think that's a couple really, really good points uh, to hammer on there. One is that it, it, the team is the people that can help you to get to where you want to go. And I, I love the fact that you point out that you actually hire a trainer because the accountability to somebody is such an important piece. And that is part of, of creating the team is increasing your accountability to other people. And that keeps you on track. And the one person that you didn't mention that I definitely want to mention is another person on your team is your husband, Absolutely. Scott, who is such a partner for you. Tell us a little bit about Scott and, yeah. and how he supported all this. Because when he met you, you were not into fitness. So yeah. in fact, I, tell I, us where you met him. <laughs> right. So I didn't mention that because uh, for in my brain, that's just a given. And by the way, today is our 46th wedding anniversary oh happy anniversary fantastic following your birthday this weekend you have a couple days deal though i don't get any toasters or vacuums for my birthday like we're not going to combine the anniversary and birthday right (laughs) anyway so he um i say in my book and this is an important point to remember sometimes we agonize over decisions right? We have to make a decision about something and we agonize and we think about it. And we, and so often those, that agonizing, those decisions don't result in much of anything, but the decisions that we make that we just don't really give too much thought to, right? The don't think, just do. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that can be life-changing. And an illustration of that would be how I met Scott. So I was really, I was in high school and um, I was kind of a decent trumpet player. I was a music major. Mm -hmm. And, but in order to audition, to get into the college I wanted to attend, I I needed lessons and my parents couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. And so I was walking down the street on Main Street in Flushing, Queens, And I happened to pass a brand new McDonald's that was being built. 
and there was a help wanted sign in the window. And I thought, okay, help wanted, I need money. Perfect, perfect fit. I filled out an application and who do you think was the assistant manager there? Scott mm -hmm. McIntyre. And I didn't agonize over filling out that job application, right? So those decisions, that's just one illustration how about how the, the decisions that you make can, can turn your life, can give your life a completely different trajectory. And when I think that things are bad I, and, 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 and they just couldn't get any worse, I know that one day can make the difference. Mm -hmm. One person, as you say, one day, one decision, you, you can meet someone who changes your life. And he is the love of my life. And he is my, my soulmate. And so had I agonized, well, do I want to work at McDonald's? Do I, I, it wouldn't have happened. So those are the decisions that can change your life, right? Right. Absolutely. 46 years later. Yeah. <laughs> and the other piece of that too, like you said, I mean, what are the chances you walked into that McDonald's of all the McDonald's in, in Flushing, right? Yes. <laughs> there are a few That's to choose right. from. That's and exactly that right. he would be there at that exact moment. I'm always sort of fascinated by those moments, right? That that one chance meeting. But because you were open and you weren't agonizing, you weren't tight, tense, and anxious about it, right. you were actually open to whatever the experience was something right. amazing came out of it. What a great lesson to share. Right. And had he, he was very persistent, by the way. <laughs> Nowadays, they would call it stalking. But, but then he was just being persistent. And because I really did, at that time, I had singleness of purpose. I wanted the money for the music lessons. Mm -hmm. I didn't want, I didn't want a date. I didn't want, but he was persistent. Thank God, right? Because had he not been, I, you know, I, I don't even want to think about that. So yeah, life would have yeah. been completely yeah. different. That's for sure. So when, I mean, obviously that was well before you got into fitness and, oh, and changed yeah. career. Right. How did he handle all of those changes? And, and how did you work together as partners in making such a huge life change? Well, you know, to this day, Kelly, if I uttered the words, you know, I've been thinking, you can see that look of utter <laughs> fear. Panic. <laughs> Panic, yeah. Um, and, and so we, we talked quite a bit. And it wasn't that I was going to go back to school to do this, but it was what would happen to my career because I was a high income earner. And, and it wasn't that I hated what I did. I just hated what I did. I don't know if that makes sense. I love the people that I got to work with all those years. I'm, and for the last 30 years of that career, I was with the same company. And so, um, but he was always supportive. I don't think he actually either, I don't think either of us thought something would come of it. And, and I just, initially went to get a, a um, personal trainer credential from the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Mm -hmm. And as a side note, it was like one of the most difficult things I had to do, I ever had done because memorizing the names of muscles and, you know, knowing every, I, I, did, I just didn't think my brain could hold anymore and work 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And I did it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I was going to do anything with it. And then I thought, well, let me train some girlfriends in the house, right? And I started that way. I wasn't even sure I was capable of doing it. But I remembered everything I had been through and what had been shared with me. And I got very busy very quickly. And I thought, Oof, I don't want to do this in my house anymore. And so I rented a, a 175 square foot room in a chiropractic facility where the ceiling was so low that we had to remove ceiling tiles if somebody wanted to do like an overhead press or something, we had to remove ceiling. So, and I stayed there for two and a half years. I learned so much. And so that's really how I started. But Scotty was right there in it with me because I was working and I kept saying to him, I'm not gonna do this if you feel like you don't want me to do this. 
It's because I could never have done it without his support. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have wanted to do it without. And it's, we've both been on this adventure and he, he's now a coach. He's now a fitness coach. You know, he just recently became, he's an EMT, but he just recently became a fitness coach and we both love food. We both don't love movement, but he, but he works in more in the disaster area, you know, training for a disaster. Mm -hmm. And I work, you know, in, in, uh, overcoming arthritis and MS and actively aging and that kind of fitness. So we're in different categories. Yeah. It makes sense though, because he does have that EMT background. Right. So he's in that right. facet of, of healthcare. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But he's, he's been my biggest support in people adore him. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, uh, he's right there with me every night at the studio when I'm there. He's there with me. That doesn't surprise me. Obviously, I know him and have the pleasure of knowing both of you. And and he is supportive. I actually love his nickname for you, which is the Irma Bombeck of Fitness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think laughter, of all of the things that we talk about, Kelly, I think laughter is the most important. And it. somebody asked me once, what is my favorite sound? And la it has to be laughter. Laughter... There's just nothing as joyous to listen to as laughter. I mean, I love music. I love the sound of babies, but babies laughing mm -hmm. and humans laughing. There's just nothing. Priceless. Did that come? I mean, were you, were you always funny? Were your parents funny? Where, where did My you dad, get your sense of humor? My dad was hysterical. You know, I remember he told me, he gave me this list of things before he died. And the last one was, you know, take care of your mother, but don't let her live with you. You know, like he, he always was happy, jolly Max, you know, he was a funny guy. So I think part of that comes from him, the love of dancing, partying, you know, I love a good party, you know? So I, yeah, I think that comes from him. He was always surrounded by people. I, uh, I want to read that part. Actually, that was a place that I tagged as something that I wanted to share with the listeners. Uh, the four things that he told you oh. before he passed okay, away. Try Number not, one. Try not to cry. Okay, here we go. Okay, I'm you good. can cry, go. but we'll laugh after. Go. Go. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> I love you. Number two, don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do something. You can do anything you set your mind to. Number three, you will never get anything in life that you haven't earned. There is no free lunch. And if you take something that you haven't earned, it will not lead to anything you or others will value. And number four, take care of your mother, but never let her live with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, he, that man only had an eighth grade education. Mm -hmm. And I think he lived his life feeling inferior in so many ways to his peers. Um, and yet he was one of the most successful men and had so much wisdom, Kelly. Uh, and I think that's where number two came from. Never let anybody tell you that you can't do something, mm -hmm. you know? And the reason he only had an eighth grade education is because his dad died young and he had to take care of his family. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was the oldest boy. So, um, so I think that uh, that whole, you can do anything, you can do anything, you can do anything, was uh, really important for me to hear. And that was, I think, important for him to, to say because he felt so inferior. Yeah, yeah it yeah. came from his experience of not exactly. feeling that way. Exactly. And a great message for anybody who's listening as well, because you can do anything and, and your life has proven that, you know, how many people would have changed careers after being in a profession for 30 years? How many people would change careers into something that they have notoriously not enjoyed doing and yet are able to embrace it to the point where they can actually share it with others? and spread that energy and enthusiasm and, and quest for health. Yeah. You know, people. Kelly, I think, I think with fitness, I work with a population to this day that is underserved. 
and underestimated. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, it's so important for for us to remember that we should stop thinking about lifespan and start thinking about health span. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, I'm not going to get into politics, but there is a lot of politics wrapped around aging and, and elderly being a liability, you know, being elderly, being a liability. But what if Kelly, what if we could age healthfully? And that's the research that I am so uh, excited about because you know what if we could be healthy pretty much until the time you know we move on to greener pastures how great would that be you know we can impart some wisdom to a society that's sorely in need of some wisdom yeah and that's really where my interests lie and it is my passion and my mission to work with people that are actively aging perhaps baby boomers and even beyond to let them know that the human body is amazingly resilient and you can bounce back. And it's up to each of us individually. And at your studio, you actually do bounce because you do the trampoline. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Bouncing back in every way. Then you actually uh, use a quote in the book. I think it's from George Burns um, where he says, we all get older, but we don't have to get old. That's exactly right. And that is so true. And research now, the data is is backing that up, and so um, and there are many researchers researchers at Yale and Harvard who are delving deeply into this. I I know at uh, I think it's at Yale they've actually reversed glaucoma in rats. Mm-hmm. How amazing is that? I mean, there's so much great research that's being done in this area. Yeah, I we agree. have to do what we can. We have to take care of what we can control. Right. Exactly right. We just published a book from a woman who's 81 and is, you know, just wrote her first book, became a bestseller and uh, it's on parenting. Hooray for parenting is the book, yeah. Jackie Michael. And she is a psychotherapist, counselor, coach, um, career. Her career has been in helping families and parents in comparison to another woman who I know who is at 81 on oxygen and you know, she's did not move much her light in her life. And she is now not moving very much at all. Um, so I do think we have a lot more control of that than maybe we have thought we had and that there is potential to continue to move and to continue to grow and to continue to age gracefully and actively and, and be healthy so much longer than our parents did and certainly our grandparents before them. Exactly. And, you know, you have to say genetics aside because there is a genetic component. However, as you say, we have so much power over environmental factors. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where we can make a huge difference. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, your book is going to make a difference. Let's talk just a little bit about the book, uh, the, the actual book and the writing of the book and the whole process, because there are certainly a lot of people listening to this podcast who have dreamt, dreamt of, re- of writing or publishing or having a book. And I think they like to hear some of the stories of what that was like. You actually began with a scripter in our write a book in a weekend event, which happened last November, right? That was November, 2019. It's all a blur. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was a good process, a difficult process, a reward. Tell us, tell us about the process for you. It was the best process for me. You know, I, I can sit down by myself and say, I'm going to do some writing. And then I see shiny squirrels. I see all kinds of things around me. I'm easily distracted. And, and I just never, got the job done. It was always in my head. And so this was the best possible scenario for me. And, and as fate would have it, I was paired with somebody who was an amazing partner in my group. Mm -hmm. And having you there was a great experience. 
And um, so I'm going to give you the pros and cons. Excellent. Um, excellent. The, da the downside was I gained four pounds <laughs> because the only way you could get me to sit at my desk was to eat back to the food. Right. But so that's the downside of, of having done it that way. Um, but you encouraged us to do a data dump. And honestly, before we started, Kelly, I had an outline and the book I ended up writing was not the book I intended. I was going to write a nuts and bolts look or tongue in cheek look at the silly things we do to stay fit as we age. And the book ended up being nothing like that. And so we, you know, I did this data dump and I spent, what did we do? Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Right. As, as I recall. So I spent all day Friday and Saturday, just, just typing, just doing a data dump, typing, 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 typing. And I remember this, we had, we met three times a day. Mm -hmm. So we met, I think early morning, midday and evening. Mm -hmm. And I had and Saturday night, Sunday was the final, going to be the final day. For the, and we were supposed to just come up with an outline, with a um, draft, the rough draft. Yeah, a rough manuscript. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had it in my head I was going to finish the book. Mm -hmm. And so on Saturday night in our last meeting, I said, Kelly, I have just pages and pages of what feels like disconnected and disjointed words and phrases and paragraphs. And you said, send it to me. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And what came back to me on Sunday morning was a gift. It was a gift because you didn't do much other than to reorder things. Mm -hmm. um, and when it came back to me on Sunday, I had a gift of a book. I could, I had the bones of a book, mm -hmm. right? And I, when I first saw it before we got on the morning call, I had tears in my eyes because I read through it and I thought, oh my gosh. I couldn't see it. You know, when you're up on it mm -hmm. for two days straight, you don't, you can't really see it. Mm -hmm. And then when it came back to me, so thank you for that gift because you, you're the one that saw it. And so from there I could start building. And so it was the best experience of my life. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Lewis because, yes. because his book is he, almost done now. Yeah. I'm so we're still in contact, but you know, the, the very first day, that concept of you've got to look back before you can move forward, mm -hmm. that concept of figuring out those childhood influencers when it came to food, mm -hmm. that was what gave me the foundation to write the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. And I did not have that in my outline, in my brain. Mm -hmm. So I recommend this to anyone who's, I'm not a loner, Kelly. I don't like doing too much alone. I mean, some things like, you know, if I'm on my elliptical listening to music, yeah, I like to do that alone. But, but I'm a party girl. I'm a, you know, like COVID's been like, oh. <laughs> Here, people, but so that's that's my book experience, and I recommend it. I've recommended it to so many people because um, I never would have gotten it done any other way. Yeah, thank you for that. And and oh. it it is people often say, you know, we do this write a book in a weekend event. We'll be doing another one this fall, and and think, people think, you know can you really write a book in a weekend? And the reality is, yes, you can. You can't have a finished manuscript because there's the, the, the part that most people don't realize, the writing isn't the hardest part, probably the editing is the harder part, um, only in the sense of it, it's time consuming and, it, and you have to read the book so many times to get it. But you can absolutely get a manuscript written in a weekend, given given direction and coaching and, and all of those pieces, and you're the perfect example of how that happens. Well, part of the challenge, Kelly, is if you're me, every time you read the book, you think, oh, I don't know, but I, I got to change this. I should add that. I don't have enough words. I have too many words. I don't know. Oh, I, I used that word twice. Or, I, you know, there, I, I, even now when I read the book and it's printed and done and gone, I, I feel like I want to change some things, mm -hmm. you know every single author that you ever speak with 
you know, J.K. Rowling, who's one of the <laughs> winningest authors yeah. of all time, right. will tell you there's so many things she would like to change uh, because because there's always something more to change. There's always more to add. There's always something else that comes to mind or another experience that plays into it. We call those additions number two, three, four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And somebody recently, just recently, now the book was released, what, of the 11th. Right. I don't know where we are today, the 18th. Yeah. So see. somebody said to me yesterday, so when's your next book? And I, I went, <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, give me a little time for that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let me just enjoy this one first. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, uh, I can appreciate that. Well, I'm glad that you share that because it is, it is always inspiring to have somebody who's done it explain what it's like. And so if you are a listener out there and you are interested in writing a book and you are interested in a write a book in the weekend, pay attention to script or uh, tune into what we're doing because we'll be offering another one this year. And Everybody should do it that way. Yeah, it is a, it is a pretty, it definitely keeps you accountable. <laughs> definitely oh, yeah. keeps you on task. And I, I told you I need that. So yeah, it's good. So before we wrap up, Esther, I, I love to hear from people on the actual concept of the podcast and that I always ask everybody what it just takes one means to them. It's a different idea for everybody and it can be a pretty profound question. So I want to wrap up by asking you, what does it just takes one mean to you? I, I gave this some thought, Kelly, and every every great idea, every life-changing invention, life-saving medicine started as the brainchild of one human. So from that point of view, it just takes one is that's the root, but, but greatness, greatness doesn't typically happen unless that great concept that was the brainchild of that one person is shared with another and another and then another. And I, so I like to, to think of it as it just begins with one. It just takes one that's so true, but it just begins with one because we accomplish so much more as part of a team. And if there's nothing else that people take from the book that I wrote, it is be on a team, don't try to be a loner. And so that concept, it just begins with one and then we share it. Beautiful. I, I completely agree. Yeah, so that's, that's how I feel about that. I love it. Thank you very much. Great words of wisdom. Esta, if people are interested in learning more about you or about My Health Studio or would like to purchase the book, how can they get in touch with you? Well, there are two websites. I have a brand new one for the book, and that is simply Esta, spelled E-S-T-A, McIntyre, M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E.com, EstaMcIntyre.com, and you can um, you can purchase the book from there, from that website, or contact me or learn more about coaching. And we also have the studio website, which is simply myhealthstudio.com. Fantastic. And the book is available on? Amazon. Yeah. And we're going to be shortly going into the recording studio to do it for Audible. So that'll be fun. Excellent. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for you to have that experience and I'll look forward to hearing all about that. I want to finish with the final, with a final quote from your book. It's actually not the final because you added an additional chapter about COVID afterward, but I love this um, little conclusion here. And I think it really sums up what we've discussed today. You say, and don't forget laughter, camaraderie, and hope. The human body and mind are amazingly resilient. So rise up and put one foot in front of the other. Make each day count. Keep learning and improving. Let's get out there and make a positive difference. Remember, don't overthink, just do. Yeah, that's a good quote for me. Yeah. That's my mission yeah. is to make a positive difference in a big way for lots of people. 
Fantastic. Well, you're doing that and we'll continue to do that. Esther, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Kelly. I'm honored. I thank look you. forward to hearing the audiobook when it comes out. And uh, like she said, everyone, the book is available on Amazon. Go check it out. Fitness for women who love to eat and hate to move. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Thank you so much, Esther. Have a great day. You too. I'm still smiling as I come to the end of that interview with Esther. I hope you're smiling with me. Her sense of humor is excellent. And I think you heard in that interview that laughter is a huge thing in her life. It's important, not just because it's fun, but because it's healthy. And she certainly shares that sense of humor with us in the interview, but also in her book. She also made a couple other points that I just wanted to reiterate and I think are really important and inspiring for all of us. One of those is that sense of you can do anything. She took a career, a 30 year career in the corporate world and left it to the side so that she could pursue her passion. And I think her story and her experience is inspiring for all of us that have ever thought that maybe it's too late or that you just don't have what it takes to really follow or pursue the thing that you love to do. Well, I hope if you get nothing else from her story today that you recognize that it is never too late and that if you have a passion for something, you should go out and do it. As she says, don't overthink it, just do it. Another really important message that she left us with was the idea of building a team, that we do not have to go through life alone, and that we can build and develop a team around us to help support us, to help encourage us, to help keep us healthy, and keep us accountable and on track with our goals. She personifies that in the way that she runs her health studio and in her life as well. And finally, I want to reiterate her final point, which is that it just begins with one, that every one of us sharing something that we know, something that we're passionate about, or in any way reaching out to help somebody else is the way to make a difference in this world. Esta is doing that every day in her studio, and she did it today with us in this interview, and she will continue to do that as she shares her book, her sense of humor, her story, and her inspiration for every one of you. So I encourage you to hop onto Amazon and pick that up today. And I appreciate you listening into It Just Takes One. Stay tuned. We'll have more episodes coming soon. <laughs>